Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hola, and welcome to a big interview from the vault. Look, all right, no fooling around. We asked our socios, our members, our supporters at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to pick their favourite from season two of this long running and I have to say much loved show. You're about to hear one of the interviews they picked as the best from a selection which included international footballers representing Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Bulgaria, Argentina, England, Scotland and Northern Ireland. Here's what I had to say about this one when we recorded during season 2016-2017. The excellence of John Collins' ability and his career was perfectly emblemised by his pretty dramatic move from Celtic to Monaco in 1996, where he'd play alongside a couple of relatively promising youngsters named Thierry Henry and David Trezeguet, whatever happened to them. I went down to Monte Carlo and La Tourbie, the training ground, to interview John 20 years ago and saw what I thought were many remarkable things of the Monaco sporting culture. In this big interview, John explains, for example, why it was that those two young French internationalists were asked to carry the kit hamper into the dressing room at most away games during that season just before they won the World Cup so dramatically with their country. During his own time in French football, John underwent something of a technical and tactical revolution and found that that was well within his capability, well within his locker. But his marginal gains approach to self-improvement had started way back in his teens, and he explains it. How else would a skinny kid from Gala Shields get the opportunity to line up alongside George Best in only his second professional game? He tells a wonderful story about how he simply couldn't believe that was going to happen. John still has strong opinions with which I fully agree about the development of young footballers. Here we talk about Jean Tigana, plus, of course, that iconic cheeky wink to camera before Scotland-Brazil, the opening game of the 1998 World Cup in France. Did you think it was to you? He'll tell you why it wasn't. This is a player who was ahead of his time in many ways um, during his own career, and sadly, because the game has slipped backwards... I think he's still very far ahead of the thinking of most people 
in modern football, certainly in modern football development. He shouldn't be out of the game. His views should be listened to and applied. And if anybody's got any sense, they'll employ him very soon. How much I enjoyed talking to John Collins for the big interview. Hey, John, I think it's well established that beyond a super athlete and a good footballer, you're a generous man. And the proof of that is this is the 20th anniversary of the first time you tolerated an interview by me, which was in different, less beautiful surroundings, warmer surroundings. Take us back, if you will, to La Tour B, which is where I think I met you for the first time, and it's a place that impressed me a lot. So before we tell the bigger story of John Collins, the Monaco player, La Tour B, describe where we met and what that meant to you in your working life. Well, La Tour B is uh, Monaco's training base, um, up in the mountains behind Monaco, actually in France. It's cut over a mountain. Beautiful views, backdrop of the Mediterranean. The most beautiful drive up to a training ground probably in the world. In the world yeah. um, I came from Barrowfield, and any Scottish person will tell you Barrowfield's not the prettiest drive in the world from Celtic <laughs> Park to Barrowfield, but it was a wonderful training complex. Um, and for me, it was a night and day moving from Scotland to Monaco. Uh, so it was a great location, but more important than anything, what goes on on top of those pitches um, is the most important, the work that gets done on the training pitch. Can I take you to something that I saw, like, and I am obsessed by little details, but we were obviously we were a bit nervous, or at least wanting to put on our best show, chatting to you and not make a, a pig's breakfast of it. And we're watching, we're allowed to watch training, that's the first thing, as a journalist you go, this is inner sanctum, because... In Britain, we believe that journalists should be brilliant at writing about football without ever seeing how it happens, yeah. which is just daft. So we get to watch training, and it's stunning. But at the end, I don't know why we were taken into the dressing rooms, maybe just to register with you, where every single player, none of whom knew us, stopped as they're changing or showering or whatever. But as we walked past, every single player, bonjour, say good morning, handshake to these strange foreigners, show of respect. I, I'd never seen anything. Is that part of that club's culture at the time? Or? Well, exactly the same thought that I had the first day I walked in. Everybody coming up to me, shaking their hand, bonjour, welcome. And it's something that happens every single day. You go down to the academy in the stadium, you've got all the academy kids, nobody knows, knows me. Every single one of them walks up, first thing they do is say bonjour. And I think it's, it was something that really surprised me when I came back, and I came back to Everton. And it wasn't part of the, the daily routine. Some players would just take their coats off, hang up, hardly say a word. Um, but I really appreciated it. It made you feel welcome and part of them. And, and it wasn't just uh, shaking a hand for the sake of it. They look you in the eye and, and it comes with a smile. So was it part of Monaco's culture or a French culture? I don't know, but certainly at the football club, it was something that, to this day, I was there three weeks ago watching the training. I was over with the family. And it same thing. Players come up, say bonjour, welcome. What was the um, motivation? Let's leave all talk about contracts or Bosmans aside. When you've got that option to go to Monaco, and, and my memory is at the time that you have plenty of options, Nice not being one of them, um, what, what's the motivation to say, I'll choose this? Well, I was coming at the end of my contract at Celtic. I signed two three-year deals. I've seen the first one out, signed a new three-year deal, and in the final year of my contract, I'd made the decision that it was time for a new challenge. I was 28 years of age, and I'd been in Scotland playing first-team football since I was 17, um, and I was going to make a move. So, well, my agent phoned me and says, Monaco want 
to fly over and talk, I thought, wow, that sounds exciting. One, French football was a good standard. True. Technical. Um, ball played on the grass, which is the way I like to play it. Um, Monaco, obviously a beautiful place, a beautiful climate. It appealed to me. Uh, I've got to be honest, I didn't know too much about Monaco and the players. Actually, I, I didn't know any of them. Mm. So, but I, I knew they were always pushing for the league, top three, four clubs in France. Um, and when I went over to talk to them, I liked what I had. Mr Tagana had to say to me the first thing I asked the coach the most important thing at that stage of my career I wanted to play central midfield I didn't want to play wide um, so before we talked money or contracts or mm. anything the contact the talk with John Tigana was where are you going to play me in the team he pulled out his matchbox pulled out 10 matches put his shape of his team up and says that's where you're going to be playing in that central zone with young quick player on the wing outside you who'll suit you play passes and that young player turned out to be a great young player went on to have an amazing career which was Thierry only so the first thing was I wanted to go there but I wanted to play in a position which I felt um, I enjoyed most and that was central midfield so. that was a demand to have more influence in the play was it? yeah to be when you play central midfield you can control the game you can get it off the back four and then you feed and you play wider you've got to wait on players feeding you so there can be large periods of the game long periods of the game when you don't get a touch of the ball but you're still making the runs and working hard and it's, it's an important role in the team the wide player don't get me wrong it's vital um, but I just felt at that stage of my career I wanted to play that central role so I could be involved in the match in the thick of the action One of the things we've learned with the feedback to this is that Sadly, not everybody's of my generation, and you're younger than me, but you'd have been of an age to understand who Takana was when you were talking to him. And for those who haven't maybe seen him play, he, he genuinely, not only was he a great, he was part of one of the great European midfields in that um, France side that wins the European Championship. And they were genuinely sensational, weren't they? Yeah, it was um, Platini, Gires, I mean, top quality. Um, and they're sort of the idols at the time they were French idols when I went across wherever we went away from home it wasn't the players that the supporters were talking or looking for autographs it was still Jean Tegana so he was a great player he played in the midfield zone so I certainly had a, a relation with him um, when it came to talking tactics and what he wanted from was me. he a teacher? he wasn't a great it wasn't a, how can I put it politely he knew f- what he wanted from his players he told me he wanted everybody to pass and move and receive the ball and work hard but he wasn't a coach that worked hours on end on tactics and moving the team about um, but I think his biggest asset was selecting players not that he signed me but he signed good players and he liked giving young players a chance um, which I think was a, a big thing for him certainly at Monaco because um, we had obviously a budget to buy players mm. and they, all, they often did buy players but when I was there the first year he integrated two young players into the first team Trezeguet and Henry um, which takes a bit of doing for a young a manager to do but needless to say those young players did a great job for the team and him but he was a quiet manager wasn't a manager that was shouting and bawling and too animated on the pitch but he gave very simple messages boy this to play go and play um, and he had a good group of players it was, a, it was a sensational group and I remember going in this interview that you gave me remember at the time like Kenny Douglas at Newcastle going very well and you'd drawn them it was the break in the European trophy which was the UEFA Cup and you knew that in March it was Newcastle and then in England because there are a lot of people who maybe don't have a wide vision well that's an easy draw Newcastle through 
I remember you saying to me, see that kid over there with a the long sort of Rastafarian hair, he he'll take Newcastle apart. He'll absolutely, people haven't heard about Thierry Henry, but he's, you said, I mean, I think at the time he was 19. Yeah. And he'd only had, you know, about 15, 20 starts, tops. And uh, you marked my card and said, this guy's just going to be exceptional. Yeah, he had lightning pace. He was so athletic. Um, never had a great left foot. Something he had to work on. Mm. And he did. He worked every, and he's finishing every day after training. But our forward line was, was terrific. In front of me, we had a little number 10 called Ali Bernarbia. Fantastic Sensational player. Football. Sensational Did he come 10. to City in the end? He came to City, yeah, yeah. the end yeah. of his career. Yeah. Played for Paris and Bordeaux after Monaco as well. And we had a striker the first season, Sonny Anderson, yeah. who was a terrific Brazilian. We sold him for fortunes to Barcelona. Uh, he didn't do so well at Barcelona, I don't know why, but he came back to Lyon and won title after title in the, in the terrific Lyon team. But he had blistering pace and skill as well. So uh, Little Victor? Victor on the, on the right-hand side, Ekpiba, the Nigerian winger. Um, so we had lots of talent. When Thierry Henry comes into the team, is he playing wide or yeah, off the strip? No, I played wide. He played outside left. Uh-huh. I played that wide of me. Which Coming at, cutting in on Cutting his... in at his right foot and yeah. bending things in the, in the top corner of the faraway post. Um, but his biggest asset as a young player was his... his just, one, he was powerful. Two, blistering pace. And he was raw. Sometimes he held onto the ball too much, but his pace just frightened to death to, to defenders. Um, and he was very humble, well mannered, and a hard worker. Came through the academy system, Claire Fontaine, well educated, um, worked hard, didn't have a too big an ego, he was calm. Um, always listening to the senior players I've got a wonderful story I tell the year we won the title the rules we had an old kit man he was a 70 year old Pity Louis he was called too old to be a kit man and mm. carrying hampers but he folded the, the jerseys mm. and the rules were the youngest in the squad carried the hampers off every bus every plane wherever we went and the season they went on to become World Cup winners with France they carried the hampers on and off the bus without one moan um, and I always again on me yeah and I, I, when I think back, I think well, credit to Ian, but it was it was the rules in the club. Young boys do the lifting and the carrying, and keeps their feet on the ground. And remember where they came from. This is something that we we talk about a lot: training ground culture in Britain. And and Martin on the train here it was talking about in the in the majority of the big continental countries, the way in which it's expected that players maybe have breakfast at training, maybe stay for lunch, that their diets are controlled, but that they either do a little bit of extra work or maybe some gym work, but it's not, which I think the predominant British culture has been in getting about 15 minutes for training, get stripped, do an hour and a half, get out of there. In the bad old days, maybe to the bookies of the snooker hall or for, for a bevy. But also this concept over my lifespan has been if you're a footballer, you get you do your training. It's important, and then the rest of the day is yours. Whereas I don't think that in the leading continental, that, that wouldn't have been your experience. No, not at all. I think um, the first thing, I, the biggest difference when I went to Monaco was um, Celtic was hard training. Pre-season was tough. My first week, we went to a training camp up in the mountains, and I'll never forget it. Um, I, straight, I was sharing with a, a young a young player. Um, he came into the room. We had dinner, arrived at about 7 o'clock, went down for dinner, came up to the room. About 9 o'clock he went out of the room and came back up with his training kit. And I was like, well, what have you got your training kit for? And he says, oh, you have to go and get it tonight because we start 7.30 in the morning. We go Before breakfast we go for a, a jog in the woods. That's the first session. 
and I thought he was joking. I thought, seriously, 7.30 start, yeah, right. 7 o'clock. Shine on. So sure enough, it was true, I had to go down and get my kit. First morning, 7.30 session, up to your room, shower, breakfast, back, 10.30 start, technical session with the ball working hard till midday, lunch, into your room, siesta, back out for a third session, technical again, 5 o'clock. And for a 10-day training camp, it was training three sessions one day, two sessions the next, three, two, three, two. And in between that, eating well, sleeping well. So after 10 days, it was like, wow, it was equivalent to what I would normally get as three weeks training back home because the players come train in the morning, go home. So the amount of work we got done in that training camp was mm. incredible and also at the same time for me being a new player it was wonderful I spent a lot of time with my new teammates getting to know them mm-hmm. they were getting to know me and I obviously I was working on my French at that time but it's the same in academies over there they put a lot of hours in the training pitch it's not just one session a day I think I may be wrong but most Scottish teams will play on a Saturday they'll have Sunday off they'll train Monday, Tuesday they'll have Wednesday off mm-hmm. they'll train Thursday morning a little bit on Friday so for me the younger players that from the age of 18 to 21 are still developing their mm-hmm. game and their technique they need more sessions more afternoon sessions to work on their technique um, but there's certainly improvements in, in the way Scotland and Scottish teams are, are training in the hours but I think there's still a long way from the It's French. a philosophical change that's needed isn't it? I think it's just we have to approach it different mentally Well it's a job uh, it's a full time job it's not you just don't go in and do like an hour and a half session and think I've done my work that's me finished you've got to ask, your, ask yourself what else do I need to do what, what other work could I do and it doesn't have to be physical it might mean I'm going out in the afternoon I'm going to just work on my right foot mm-hmm. doing passing just pinging it 20, 30 yards from my left footer. Um, I see a lot of players that are so one-footed. Mm. Um, and one thing that when I'm watching, when I'm watching Scottish football, I hear, I see, uh, oh, he's a left-sided centre-half, he's 20, he's poor, he's right foot. I'm like, well, how long has he been at the club? Oh, since he was 10. And I'm like, well, how can he have a, how can he have a poor right foot if he's been in, this, in the club system since he was 10 years of age? For me, when that happens, it means there's a flaw in the system. Mm. You've got to have, if you've got a player in your system for 10 years you can't be 20 years of age and be, have a poor right foot you've got to work right foot, left foot and I think maybe that's what the continental clubs they break it down in France and they do more individual work on the players and I think that's we can learn more from that and spend more time on the training pitch Take aside your talent um, and set it just to, to one side for a minute I'd imagine the more demanding that the atmosphere was on a daily basis in France, probably the more that helped you. I mean, you're somebody who you know, grit and determination and self-betterment are just pretty much embedded in your character. Well, training is always something. I've always loved training. I've always loved pushing myself. Um, from a very young age, it was encouraged from my, my, my father. I had a big brother, huge role played in my development as a football player why? because I played with my big brother's friends all through my childhood from 7 years of age up until about 14 I was playing with big guys I was never the star in the training pitch or in the streets because they were all bigger and stronger than me so I've always been pushed pushed, pushed and and when I went to Monaco again I was pushed to another level um, on the training pitch so with the big brother, that's pushed to you. You want to you're not left behind. You want to be knocked over. You want to show I'm one of the big boys. Well, one thing. Competitive? You, well, it's competitive, but when you play with bigger kids, um, 
you can't run past them because you're no faster than them. You can't bump your way around them because you're no stronger than them. So you have to think and use your skill and develop your football brain. So I have to one-two it past them. I have to play it right and run past them on the left. Or I have to go forward and then jink backwards, change direction, use my strengths, which is I'm smaller, I'm more nimble. So people talk about street football, small-sided games. That's where you develop your brain and your touch because you're getting thousands of touches and you're making thousands of decisions under pressure, often against bigger players. And it's something that's gone now. Street football won't come back in the, in, as it was in the past. No. But I've said it before, many people have heard, and they've got to try and replicate that in the academies. Mm. And that doesn't mean, and that means moving players up levels, age levels. So testing them, taking them test, out of their comfort zone. Taking them out of their comfort zone. So they're not a, a big number nine, under 13, scoring mm. 50 <laughs> goals because he's bigger, stronger. Because yeah. he's not developing. Yeah. And I often say, well, as soon as you go three goals up, as a youth player you're not developing as a player because mm. it's too easy the opposition is there's too much space and it's too easy so you, you've got to try and develop your academy teams that they're all playing up so if you for example you're Celtic or Rangers you don't want to be winning 5-0 3-0 6-0 so can you have the under 12s or what the good ones playing up an age and for me that's what street football did to mm. the good football players they were stretched, mm. playing is bigger, stronger, thinking, you, making their brain work on that training pitch and getting thousands of touches of the ball. Um, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I think when I break it down, that's what we've got to try and get back to within our academies. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think sometimes I think players and, and sometimes coaches, sports science, have, have got a lot to do with it. They sometimes say, oh, you're training too much and rest. And I think... A lot of the time, I agree with sports science a lot of the time, but when it comes to young boys, um, I think they should be spending more time with the ball in the afternoons. Mm. Trained in the morning, they've had their lunch, have a nice rest, back if it's if it's, if we've got an indoor gym or 
go and play 3v3s, go and get set up little small areas, 4v4s, and people talk about, I go and see big games, 11v11 kids, 12, 13-year-olds, some kids hardly getting a kick. What you get in 4v4s is triangles everywhere. Mm. You get decisions made constantly, defensive decisions. Where do you go? Moving right, moving left, moving forward, moving backwards, and when you have the ball at your feet, exactly the same. I'm looking right, I'm looking left, and people are coming towards you. Football, some people say it's a simple game, but it's a game that's learned people are coming towards you all the time people are going away from you different times there's a ball involved so the brain's working a lot constantly. of decisions to make a lot of decisions a lot of distances to be read and the more they have of small high tempo games at a young age the more their brain and their touch is developing and that's where we've fallen behind European countries in Scotland because technically we're not where we should be mm. and tactically we've because we're not technically mm. where we should be our tactics have evolved to such an extent we're not playing technical skillful gifted football from the back through the goalkeeper because people say oh they're getting caught in the ball because they've no technique so let's just kick up the park so basically when you say that you're giving up you're saying mm. well we're not playing football anymore we're Correct. playing a different sport we're playing a game that's half rugby half football mm. um, so it's got to be a radical change and people say oh, um, players don't grow on trees players are developed mm. developed by a system mm. and by coaches doing the right things on a daily basis and the reason we're not developing and getting to World Cups and European Champions is it's, it's no bad luck it's nothing to do with luck <laughs> it's all to do with the system's broken what is it like playing with with Bartes at the back because I need to point out that your time at Monaco was, was fabulous title um Late stage semi final of the UEFA Cup, semi final of the Champions League yep. as well. It was an elite group. Starting at the back, Fabian Bartes. Bartes was a good football player again with his feet. A small goalkeeper, but he had a terrific spring. Mm. He could jump very high and he had great confidence. He was one of those guys that never stressed, just cool, calm, came to training. He was always in his jeans, torn jeans and a t shirt, dead relaxed. Um, and he was a happy guy on the training pitch, a terrific attitude. Didn't like like most goalkeepers didn't like conceding, mm. but he was a footballing goalkeeper. Again, that's what I liked about him. He passed it, a terrific left foot, pinged it, and I was no surprise when he got a, a big move to to Manchester as well. Did he do well at Manchester? I think he did. Had a decent career at Manchester. Um, wasn't probably the standard Edwin Van der Sar, mm. but he was a good goalkeeper. And I go into my right back, Sanyo. Well, he's a tough guy. Good football player, had a great career at Bayern Munich, but again, he was a f- technically gifted football player. He was so confident in the ball, liked to get forward. Manu Petit. Just a joy to watch. Um, yeah. At my Monaco team, uh, he was often played, sometimes he played centre half, sometimes he played left back, sometimes he played central mid, but he was more often in the back line than, than he was in midfield. But he went on to Arsenal. Nearly get, to Rangers, Walter Smith yeah. came down to. That's Walter right. I think that it. was a year before. Yeah. Before I went, Rangers were, were sniffing and interested in him. A good, good all-round football player. Did the simple things very well. Nice left foot. Won tackles and kept the ball. And he had a terrific career. Uh, we, we, we sat with Michael Carrick in this series and we were asking him to describe I don't know why. Because he was talking about liking the battles with Arsenal. When he was talking about Petit, and he said he had this technique of he'd win it, turn, see a space. He said he'd play a little golf shot with his left foot to set over Mars, backspin on the ball, over whoever's coming out, over Mars, bombing through, just did this lovely distribution. Terrific left foot. 
that's, that's a good description he did. He, he chipped it with the backspin. He was always comfortable on it. And his left foot, he was all, all left foot. Again, fairly quiet lad, just got on with his work. About 2004, I was down in Monte Carlo um, after your old team beat Chelsea, Claudio Ranieri's side. And it was a big night because Chelsea had been leading. It looked perfect. Ranieri changed things. Monaco got late goals, 3-1. They won on the final. And that night in, in, in the town, there was this fella up on a table in the bar dancing with two beautiful women. <laughs> Royal fella. The prince. Up on a table giving it, oh, you beauty. Prince Rainey's son, Grace Kelly's boy. Um, I know you know him very well. I've interviewed him before. Sportsman. Yeah. Olympic sportsman. Um, his days are gone now but what was it like with the old, did you get on with the Prince? Yeah but he was very attached to the football team and people often surprised when I say this he used to regularly come down to the dressing room before the game and after the game wishing us all the very best he was travelled to away games in Europe every time he was always in the stands supporting us he'd be up at the training ground watching training no he took a a big big part in the club for a number of years um, obviously his father was still alive when we won the title and we had a wonderful party in the Café de Paris him and his father was there so great memories but it's changed days now unfortunately at Monaco he's taken a, a bit of a back he's still at the games mm-hmm. but and the new Russian majority shareholders are in now now I, I wouldn't be allowed home uh, by Mrs H if I didn't ask you, why, why did you wink at the camera? Everybody asked me that question, and I'll tell you the story. Sorry. Um, my daughters, my wife was at the game, my father was at the game, my two girls, young two and four-year-olds, were with Granny, um, and I promised them, watch Dad on the telly, <laughs> and I'll give you a nice big wink on the television. So that's who the wink was for, but the did, two girls. But did you have any idea about what might be happening in the sort of football female population? No, uh, at the, the next day and everybody was saying, well, who are you winking to? What were you winking for? Looked like you were showing off and trying to be cool. That's but, not what people say to me. Uh, I get my mum, mum, <laughs> who's 79. Oh, he's so good looking. So, it's John Collins' sex trust, symbol. Trust me, it wasn't to the ladies, it was to my two little princesses <laughs> who were sitting with her granny. Oh, lucky, 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 lucky girls. Was, was Scotland a good adventure for you? I, I think it must be... A, there must be some regrets because you were part of our last good group and maybe a qualification from a group stage was, was within our grasp. Yeah. No? Yeah, I think 98, we were, we were disappointed not to qualify. We, when, we, when the group was drawn, uh, Morocco, Norway and Brazil, we felt we could get that second place. Mm. Um, and I still think we should have. I think we had, the, we had the players to get it. What went wrong? I think against Norway we should have won we were the better team against Norway 1-1 Brazil we were never expected to beat them but we put up a great show and there was nothing left and in the game and there was not a lot in it um, we gave a really good account of ourselves in the last game we had to go for it Morocco we needed a win in the last game did the red card condition things a bit? <laughs> what time was it? you tell me I'd say it was at 1-0 I think yeah. I haven't looked back in the game I'm not one for looking back and really? realising defeats and, and bad moments probably probably should have and you'll probably learn from your, your defeats more than you do from your victories <coughs> my recollection of the game was we were pushing they scored the goal we were pushing pushing for an equaliser they counter attacked us again and again 2-0 we had to go for it and again they broke there was regrets we never qualified bitter disappointment um, but when you look back now, we'd love to be in that position now, wouldn't we? Getting to tournaments and being part of the main event, the Tartan Army. 
no matter what anybody says, the Tartan Army bright up, brighten up the World Cups. And There's a big champions. smile on your face now as you say it. And yeah, it's, 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 it's true, isn't true, it? Because my, my greatest memory of Scotland is going to the Stade de France, sitting on the bus from the hotel to the stadium. Drive, it was a long way, and just seeing Scotland fans at the side of the roads all the way, nearly scarfs, and then you get closer to the stadium, and it just the numbers build up, and the yellow strip, the Brazilians singing and dancing with the Scottish fans, bagpipes. I think, wow. I mean, hmm. it was it was memorable. And then going, obviously, the stadium and lining up before the game, playing against the mighty Brazil, Ronaldo, and who else was there? Rivaldo, hmm. Roberto Carlos, Cafu. Roberto. So there was a lot of quality in that team. But, you know, we were organised, we were disciplined under Craig, hmm. uh, and we were hard to beat. Hmm. Um, but we never played with fear, and I think that was one of the things. We just went. We we, we had a go. Look, character in your group, I think. Yeah, I think when you look back now with Tom Boyd and Barley, Henry, myself and Lambo, middle of the park, we were comfortable on the ball. Um, Darren Jackson played. Gordon was Gordon Jury playing. We'd have been about that time. Uh, we we had we had good legs at the top of the pitch as well. Mm. I mean, Kevin Gallagher sharp chased everything so we gave it everything and it'd be nice if in the future we get back being part of it international matches packed Hamden's getting to finals getting to European championships it was a, I mean it's a pinnacle for any, any player the pinnacle is standing in that middle of that turf at Hamden facing the main stand your father your mother your friends in there watching it uh, the national anthem blasting out it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any higher than that. No matter what anybody says, nothing beats that feeling. You're picked for your country. Number one, all the football players you're representing your country. It's a great feeling. Um, certainly was for me. Um, and I had it for about maybe a 10-year period, near enough, which is a long time. And at the time, obviously, media and fans expected, wanted more of us when we got to the finals, but when you look back now, we did not too bad. The intensity of your desire to better yourself and to show others that they can do it too, that's a defining trait of every conversation I've ever yes. had with you. What, 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 how do you encapsulate that for somebody who's listening to this now and thinking, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know if I can achieve it, I don't know if I've got enough. What do you, what do you explain from your experience about how to improve yourself? I always go back to when I was 15 I went up to Dundee United on a trial with a great manager Jim McLean and they were the, probably the best team for developing young players at that time so I went up on trial and I was still playing for Hutchison Vale in Edinburgh at the time three of my teammates had signed to go full time there so I was hoping to be the fourth so I went in the week's trial and the feedback was no you've not quite got it we'll keep an eye on you in those days there was no mobile phones, yeah. so I was driving home. I driving home, getting the bus home from Dundee to Gala Shields. A long, lonely journey home, and going back to school the next day to tell my buddies that I'll be staying on at school. I've been knocked back. Uh, but on that journey home, I thought, I'm going to prove them wrong. They said I was too small, maybe a little bit weak. So that was in November. Um, middle of December, I got a phone call from Hibs to come in on a trial. Pat Stanton at Hibs. Had a week's training in and it was with the first team um, and I think I did well I was just nine, nine stone little kid for gala at the end of the week um, Pat came in and he says phone your dad I'd like your dad to come up tomorrow and have a chat my dad came up 
and Pat Stanton says to my dad, we're going to offer him a two-year apprenticeship and I can promise you, Mr Collins, age means nothing to me. When John's good enough, ready, he'll be in the team. And I signed, I left school in January just before my 15th, my 16th birthday. 31st of January is my birthday. So I went full-time, started getting the bus up for Gala Shields at 7 o'clock in the morning, um, getting home at 7 at night, and running from St Andrew's bus station down Easter Road, back up to get the bus home. And I continued playing for my boys' club for the six months. I played for the reserves on the Wednesday night, trained every day like a beast. I was in the gym trying to build my, six, my nine stone frame up. Season finished. Never forget, my dad says, you don't stop training. You're going back pre-season to be fittest at that training ground. So I trained all close season. Came back for pre-season. All the first team boys are telling me, hey, slow down, stay in the group. Who you try to feel? And then my dad says, don't ever stick with the group. Push away from them. Don't be happy with their standards. Stay at your own. Washing the stands. Friday night, first pre-season friendly match of the season. Manchester City against Hibs. I'm cleaning the seats with Paul Kane, Mickey Weir up the stand because they've been all dusty throughout the summer. Wiping the seats down. Shout for Pat Stanton with cigars. Hey, come down to my office. And the manager, I'd just been at the club for six months, playing my boys' club. He took me into his office, he smoked his cigar. He says, Is your dad coming to the game tonight? I says, No, my dad only comes to watch me and he's a Celtic supporter. He says, Oh, is that right, son? Looked at me kind of a little smile on his face. He says, you better phone him and tell him to come because you're going to play the night. Left his office, went back up to clean the seats and the boys, I thought he was joking. The boy says, what did the manager say? He says, he says I'm playing the night. I'm like, eh? I said, I don't know if he was joking. I went back down and asked him. And he says, you're playing tonight, phone your dad. Take me seriously, not Mr Stanton, is it true? Am I genuine? I, I couldn't believe it. And sure enough, it was true to his word, a manager, nothing to do with age, Trained well, and seen something in me, put me in the team. That was Friday night. Did fairly well, wide left. Played Jackie McNamara's testimonial on the Sunday, two days later against Newcastle United, Beersley and all them, and George Best was guesting for Hibs. So my second game, who am I sitting next to? In the dressing room getting changed, the legend George Best. He's playing inside left, I'm playing outside left, getting passes from him, playing one-twos, and I'm like, wow. It was like a dream come true, but I wasn't ready for the first team. I was just a little, tiny little lad, but Pat Stanton was a smart guy. That whole se- the season started, I never played in the first team. I went back to the reserves, and the following season, I was in the first team debut at Aberdeen. Petodre, we lost a few late goals, unlucky, but a manager, again, that's when I'm a manager. I love giving young players an opportunity because, for the grace of God, it might never, I might not have had the career I had if it wasn't for a brave manager saying, you know what? Because all the first team boys wanted to play against Manchester City. People yeah. think it's just a friendly, but the first game of the season, every all the first team players want. And there's this little kid, Harley, had a training session with the first team in the first team. So Pat's done. I owe him so much on Hibs, of, of course, because that was my first club. But he fed me that little bit and that drove me on but it all came maybe from Jim McLean knocking me back and it's a great story to tell lots because young players get knocked back life's about knockbacks all the time barriers all around you mm. you come to a barrier what do you do somebody says you're not good enough you say okay or do you think you know what I'm going to prove him wrong prove me right I'm going to go round the barrier over the bar I'm going to find a way of doing it 
it's a message I tell all young players. It's not where you start, it's where you go. Whether it's in the gym or out in shooting practice, how many you score at shooting with your right foot, left foot, how many free kicks you can put in the top corner, bottom corner. Your numbers are important and you've got to set yourself st- targets. Never be happy where you are. Always try and get better and push yourself, push yourself. And that's what I did. I did for 19 years. Um, I was fortunate. Um, I had coaches that gave me a chance. Um, I worked my socks off. I had very few injuries, which is a, is, I mean, a lot has got to do with good luck, good fortune, but also good preparation. I turned up for training, having a good night's sleep and being ready and alert on the training pitch. So I never got any, picked up many injuries in the training pitch. And it's all about preparation, putting the work in on the training pitch. And people talk about having the will to win. The will to win in a match, the kicks off, is important. It's very important. But what is absolutely vital is the training. What you do is vital. If you don't do the proper training during the week, you don't get the performance on the Saturday. So that's where we've got to get into players' mind. Because in Scotland, I see the game's kicked off and everybody's running about, giving 100% running, chasing. But they've got to do that training Monday to Friday morning, afternoon, how they're sleeping, eating. You've got to get down in the mindset. How do they get better with the right foot, left foot? Control, speed, endurance, stronger, core, direct free kicks. It's about details and about pushing, 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 pushing the boundary. But it all comes back down to, again, is quality coaching. Players don't grow on trees. They're developed. They're developed with good coaches and good habits on the training pitch. The sooner that that knowledge, that passion, that ability to develop is back somewhere, hopefully in Scottish football, the better forever is the recipient of your attitude and knowledge. A privilege and a pleasure, as expected. Thank you very much. What a great career. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter... And back page. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at ACAST and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here end of the lesson. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.